this session we shall do the fourth and fifth verses. We have seen so far verses 1, 2 and 3. They are built on the three Mahavakyas, the first three of the Mahavakyas, the great sentences. This very consciousness is Brahman or this awareness is Brahman, Pragyanam Brahma from the Rig Veda. That was the first verse. The second, uh, second verse is built upon the Mahavakya, I am Brahman, Aham Brahmasmi from the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, um, Yajur Veda. The third one is, it alludes to, let us say, Tattvamasi, uh, that thou art, uh, which is the Mahavakya, the great sentence from the Chandogya Upanishad, the Sama Veda. And now, the fourth one, the last of the Mahavakyas is, I am Atma Brahma, this very self is Brahman. If you look at the fourth verse, it goes like this, the first two lines that which in all beings tiriyang means 
snakes or lizards or you know the, our sidewinders here, <laughs> animals, um, all sorts of uh, the lower animals. To, to human beings, Nara means human beings, Devata means the gods, that is gods with, with small g, not the capital G, uh, the uh, gods in the heavens, in all of them, that means in inferior bodies and minds, in middling bodies, so we are sort of, we are not superior bodies and minds, we are sort of in between, middle of the range. And the really upper range, the very high class bodies and minds of the gods and the goddesses in the heavens, you understand the difference between the God with capital G and small g because in the Hindu pantheon there are these gods, Devata. Devata means a shining being. Div word comes from, it means shining. So Devatas are like us. They are not God. They are um, higher beings in the sense, they are jivas like us, sentient beings who have got better bodies and minds because of very good karma. So. We live in projects or slums maybe and they live in the uh, <laughs> Upper East uh, on, on Fifth Avenue or something like that. So, but they are, they are beings, they are just sentient beings, jivas like us. Uh, but in all of them, whatever, no matter what the body-mind complex, there is an inner feeling of consciousness. Everybody, all of them are aware inwardly, all of us. That awareness which expresses itself as I, I, the vertical I, not the... <laughs> so in all beings, aham, I am. So in all beings, this, this feeling is very clear in all beings, I am. And notice, this I am, We say, I am, and then I say, I am Sarva Priyananda, I am a monk, I am Indian, I am a man, I am a woman. All that plus this I am, plus attributes. But if you just take the I am in itself, the I am feeling in itself, we all have it. Um, sometimes it's expressed how, when we use it or when we look inside, we feel, yes, I am. Sometimes we don't pay attention to it. But a background I amness is always there. Whenever you are awake or whenever we are dreaming also, I am. In deep sleep it's not expressed. But it's there as the witness of the deep sleep. So I am, and of course I'm saying I am in English. He says aham, ahamiti, that is in Sanskrit. And in animals or the sidewinder out there, it neither speaks English or Sanskrit. But that doesn't matter, it's not language which is important. That feeling is there. Every creature has, even in the most primitive sense, has a sense of self. Right? I am here. And that is what I have to bite. <laughs> that, that's, so, this is, this is what the, uh, the rattlesnake feels. Uh, then you better watch out. But that I and that, this difference is uh, even for a little creature like I say a protozoa or something, microscopic creature. Uh, I am, uh, it cannot think. It has no uh, developed mental capacity for thinking. And yet there is a basal sense of self because self and the other, that is food. I must put forward an amoeba, we all learned in school, put forward a, uh, what is called a pseudopod. Pseudopods. Pseudopods. 
and grab that thing and build it and bring it within this. All this thinking, I'm, I'm not saying it does, but it behaves that way. So I am is present in all beings, from animals to human beings to the gods, entire range of living beings. But look at the I am itself. The attributes can be anything. You see all the attributes we add to it. And it keeps changing. The I am is constant. And if you look at the I am, it has two distinct or two aspects. I and the am. And the I is the consciousness aspect. Chit. And am is the existence aspect. Is it not so? Uh, this is Sat. So this existence consciousness, I am and not just am, I shine with awareness, with a sense of self, at the very minimum, a sense of self. And the more higher you are, the more attributes you can add to yourself. Huh? I'm happy, glorious, or miserable and depressed and terrible, but these are all attributes. Under them the I am is neutral. Uh, Swami Vivekananda put it this way, that existence first, and then we color it with good or bad. Yeah. Things are nice, things are miserable, uh, I am a good person or I am a sinner, all that comes later. But that I amness is primary. So he says, Shankaracharya says, in all beings, that which is putagrihyate, which is, which is distinctly, undeniably available in all beings internally, as that I amness. That very I amness is in each of us by its light, by the light of that. Yad bhasa ridayakshadeha vishaya bhanti svato chetana. In each of us, that I amness lights up what? First, mind. Hridaya here means mind. Antakkarana. Literally, it means the buddhi, the, the, the innermost aspect of the mind. First, the mind is lit up. You become aware of. Thoughts, feelings. What happens when you wake up from deep sleep? When we wake up, suddenly, first we become aware of an internal environment. Where am I? Is it morning, afternoon? What's happening? Then you open your eyes and look around. What happened? First the mind is lit up. The mind is revealed to you, the awareness. Then the senses. The senses become lit up. They, they, they become conscious. Or they borrow consciousness. And then vishaya, the objects, Sights, sounds, smell, taste, touch. So look, Hridaya means the, in, the inner instrument or the, the buddhi or mind. Then Aksha means sense organs, the five sense organs. Then Deha means the body, the body big feels, I am this then. And then finally Vishaya, Vishaya means objects, sight, sense, taste, smell, touch. They all become lit up. Bhanti, they shine. Swato Achetana, though they are inert in themselves. We'll talk about it. But here I want to bring to your attention one thing. If you put these two sentences together, what did they say to two lines? The second one says, that consciousness within each of us, which lights up here, which lights up my mind first, and then the sense organs, and then the body, and then the objective universe, from inside out. It is the same consciousness in all beings, from animals to human beings to the gods. By saying this, what he has done is, he has illustrated this Mahavakya. 
अयम आत्मा ब्रह्म यार ब्रह्म मीन्स ब्रह्मन नॉट द ब्रह्मा दट्स अ डिफरेंट वन ब्रह्म आई एम आत्मा ब्रह्म दिस वेरी सेल्फ इज ब्राह्मण आई एम मीन्स दिस आत्मा मीन्स सेल्फ ब्राह्मण मीन्स ब्राह्मण द टू लाइन्स विच वी जस्ट रेड द सेकेंड लाइन टॉक्स अबाउट दिस सेल्फ वॉट इज दिस सेल्फ दिस कॉन्शियसनेस इन ईच ऑफ अस दिस कॉन्शियसनेस विच कॉन्शियसनेस द वन विच लाइट्स अप माई माइंड हियर विच आई कैन पॉइंट टू हियर आई एम shining on the mind and through the mind shining on the sense organs and through the mind and sense organs revealing this body through this lit up body do you follow what i mean by lit up body no what awake yes this awake alert body what do i do i experience an objective universe this self here that's a second line is the same self in all beings from animals to human beings to the gods that one consciousness which is in all beings you can call it this cosmic consciousness that is brahman and this one consciousness which is inside us that is atman and these two sentences what have they done they said it's the same thing that which is brahman the consciousness in all beings in all of you here and everybody in the world down to the from the rattlesnake up to the gods in the heavens that one consciousness running through in and through all beings like a golden thread that one consciousness is experienced right here as lighting up my mind and senses and body and the external world for in each of us so these two sentences have expressed the meaning of the mahavakya i am atma brahma this very self is brahman all right now the thing i want to concentrate on is the second line yad bhasa by which light which light this i amness this is the light this i amness by which light the mind or, or the uh, the buddhi the senses the body and all external objects shine though they are inert in themselves swato achetana though they are inert in themselves what does it mean it's something we should see shankaracharya has packed so much into <laughs> this uh, so this is vedantic epistemology epistemology means the branch of philosophy dealing with dealing with knowledge how do we know you know philosophy has multiple branches ontology ontology deals with being what is real is a branch of philosophy dealing with what is real ontos means being what is real episteme means knowledge or knowing how do we know we can say so many things brahman is the ultimate reality of the universe you can ask how do you know yeah. there is a very nice lunch waiting for us in the after the uh, q and a how do you know oh i saw the menu i didn't but anyway so <laughs> i i would have to justify given an answer that is epistemology you are asking an epistemological question what's there for lunch you are asking an ontological question what what is real what's there the object how do you know this is epistemological is it good that is axiological values what is nice and aesthetic and beautiful so these are the three branches of philosophy ontology epistemology and 
axiology. They used to be called at one time metaphysics, they used to be called aesthetics, but they have all been classified now under these three. So the Vedantic epistemology, how do we know anything at all? So there is consciousness, Atman, Brahman, Samvit, pure consciousness, whatever you call it, the big C. And now it shines upon, it says, Hridaya Aksha Deha Vishaya. So Hridaya means the mind. This is the mind. In a very general sense, I'm calling it the mind. And it shines on the mind. There is a reflected, there is an awareness in the mind. We call it the reflected consciousness. And this consciousness, this the mind now lit up by consciousness, proceeds further to light up the five senses. The five senses. And all of this is of course happening in the body. The senses. And all this is happening in the body. And then with these senses we experience, um, say, Arizona. Where the external sun is shining. So this is the objective universe. Object. Body. Now what I have done in this is I have, I have just illustrated the second line. Yad bhasa, by whose light? Whose light? By the light of consciousness. Ridaya. Ridaya means the internal instrument, mind. Technically, antakkarana, mana, buddhi, chitta, hankara, more precisely the buddhi itself. But just let's just see the mind, what you feel inside. The mind is lit up by the light of this consciousness. And this lit up mind, lit up means aware, conscious mind. Mind is the capacity to borrow consciousness. So mind feels conscious now. This consciousness in the mind, there's a technical term for it called chidabhasa. Chidabhasa means reflected consciousness. What's it like? A very good example would be, there is the light of the sun outside. Suppose this room were dark. I could take a shiny plate, maybe a dish, and then reflect the sun and shine the reflected light into the room. So you would have a beam of reflected sunlight coming into the room and reflecting and, and illumining things here. Just like that, the mind functions like that shiny disk. It takes the light of consciousness. Another example is the moon at night. By the light of the moon, we see the world at night. But really, the moon has no light. Moon has no light, it's not luminous. It's just reflecting the light of the sun. Moon borrows light from the sun and shines it upon the world at night and reveals things to us. Similarly, the mind is like the moon and consciousness is like the sun. Consciousness shining upon the mind, the mind becomes lit up and then the mind transfers or shines this consciousness upon the five senses which also feel conscious now. When you see, you feel conscious. It's a conscious act. You touch, it feels like an alive, conscious act. You smell, taste. And these five senses reveal the body to you. Interesting. The body is revealed to us by our senses. Is it not so? If I were um, paralyzed, if I were numb, anesthetized, I wouldn't even feel the body. So the body is revealed by the senses. I see the body. 
I smell, taste, even touch. Touch is most important. Internal touch, a sense of a sensation inside. I feel the existence of the body. These are all senses. The sense organs reveal the body. And with the body, the mind, senses and the body together, with the borrowed light of consciousness, reveal the world. Vishaya. The point he makes here is, all of these, starting from here onwards, the world is revealed by what? You say, world is revealed by Swami, all these lights, what are they doing? They are revealing the world, the sun. But yes, these lights cannot reveal the world unless your eyes are open and seeing. You cannot see anything unless your eyes are open. So your senses are revealing this world. But the senses cannot function unless the mind is lit up. If you are completely asleep, some people have perfected the art of sleeping with eyes open. <laughs> eyes are open, they don't see anything. So the mind must be conscious behind the senses. Then only the conscious mind with the conscious senses experience the body and through the body now the body feels conscious. Consciousness spreads as it were, as it were, to the tips of my fingernails. You know, the whole body feels conscious. Wherever the nervous system is functioning, there the body feels conscious. With this conscious body I experience a world of objects. I see things, smell, taste, touch things, and then I can think about things also. He says, all of them, Swato Achetana. Uh, the world is insentient, it's not conscious. The world doesn't reveal yourself, uh, itself to you. You reveal the world. Even the light which lights up things, the light cannot reveal itself unless you see it. And the senses cannot reveal anything unless the mind is connected to the senses. The mind shines upon the senses. And the mind is also insentient. This, at this point, this is an insight which modern consciousness studies has not yet come upon. The mind is also insentient. What is the mind? Thoughts, feelings, emotions, perceptions. They are not sentient. They are not aware. You are aware of them. Then simple experiment. When I think, a thought. 2 plus 2, 4. You know, think a thought. 2 plus 2, 4. Just do it right now. 2 plus 2, 4. Now note, are you aware of 2 plus 2, 4 or is 2 plus 2, 4 aware of you? Does it say, hello, how's the retreat going? <laughs> that would freak you out. You see, that's a very simple question, Swami. It's very simple. I mean, it's clearly I am aware. It's a thought in the mind which I am aware of. The thought is not aware of me or anything else. It's an object, it's a thing just like this. You are aware of this, this is not aware of you. So, so all thoughts are also insentient. The mind is insentient. But what happens, what noted the 2 plus 2, 4? It is this reflected consciousness. This reflected consciousness in the mind right now it lit up that thought, 2 plus 2, 4, and you, you were aware of it. Okay. What are you in this picture? You are consciousness, shining upon a mind, identified with the mind, feeling yourself as an aware mind, associated with senses and a body, feeling yourself as this conscious body-mind complex. Conscious body-mind complex. Now, here is the important thing to note. In this picture, in this picture, 
nothing is new nothing is new nothing is unknown to us at this moment except this one this part of it the the objective universe we know it body we know it the senses we know it the mind we know it and even the awareness in the mind if you try you just feel yeah i'm an i'm an aware being <coughs> all this is known but the most important fact this one is hidden from us advaita vedanta practically what has happened is this one being hidden in itself has become mixed up looking intensely into a microscope what's the microscope this one this body mind system we have become so focused on the microscope and through that we see this world we have lost sight that we are actually there apart from the microscope looking into it we are actually there we have forgotten all we are aware of is the microscope and what it reveals to us so you the vast unlimited consciousness shining through this one microscope of mind senses body you have become entranced with the world outside aware of the body and sort of minimally introspective about the mind i am unhappy let's go and have fun mm. <laughs> that much and totally unaware of this this dimension this is what advaita vedanta claims advaita vedanta claims you are actually not a compound actually not a mixture of consciousness plus mind plus reflected consciousness and the senses and the body no 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 it says you are not the body you are not the senses you are not the mind not even the reflected consciousness in the mind you are this this is brahman not all of this these are all projections they have no existence apart from this a correct this is a sort of analytic diagram a correct diagram would actually consciousness would encompass all of it it is in consciousness all of these things are appearing so this is what is being said here how does knowledge take place knowledge takes place like this so for example when we see something so there is this cactus so light falls on the cactus reflects back to our eyes from the eyes it proceeds to through its physiology proceeds to the mind in the mind there is a vritti vritti means a movement a thought a perception a vritti cactus vishayaka vritti <laughs> not that there is a little cactus in the mind it's a thought but it's a thought whose content is the cactus it's about the cactus and that thought is lit up by the by the reflected consciousness in the mind chidabhasa and we say i see a cactus so this is how knowledge takes place whether you are seeing hearing smelling tasting touching or even thinking in the mind thinking remembering desiring hating loving all of that all knowledge takes place in this way it is basically the reflected consciousness which functions it's like the moon at night but remember even the reflected consciousness is nothing without the real consciousness without the sun the moon would go dark immediately there would be no light at all what are you we normally think i when i say i we we talk about this complex body mind complex i it refers to this what vedant is telling you to do is is trying to teach us to shift the reference of the i back to consciousness i am body i am mind i am the body mind complex vedant is saying 
अहम ब्रह्मास्मी आई एम ब्राह्मण वट द फर्स्ट लाइन सेट वॉज not only this consciousness lights up your mind and intellect and, and the senses and the body and through that the world but it also lights up every other body in this universe all other human beings all animals gods whatever they are they are all lit up by that incidentally one more thing what differentiates a living being like me from a non living being i can't say like the cactus because cactus is also living being so like a rock maybe or the table what differentiates in this living body there is this subtle body this one <coughs> technically uh, the pranamaya kosha manomaya kosha vigyanamaya kosha beyond that dhyanandamaya but the three sukshma sharira or the um, pranamaya manomaya vigyanamaya kosha the three koshas this is what distinguishes a living body from a non living body this subtle subtle body is isn't a theoretical subtle body of course not don't you think if you are thinking what is that what is that tell me no doctor no scientist can tell you what that is all scientists will stop here isn't it at the most a scientist can tell you there is some functioning in the brain going on and somehow that is connected to your thoughts directly how what is a thought nobody knows so this thinking it's part of the mind the mind is part of the subtle body the mind the intellect the memory um the ego is called antakarana inner instrument plus the entire prana system so all of that is called subtle body sukshma sharira incidentally again what happens at death what dies this one dies the physical body the physical body dies clearly it is buried or burnt it's gone but this one not only vedanta all religions of the world vedanta has got very clear classification but all religions of the world will say the subtle body goes on every religion of the world the subtle body goes on sukshma sharira that is one which goes on to other lives the abrahamic religions will say that uh, it it persists the immortal soul persists and for eternity afterwards heaven hell whatever buddhism hinduism jainism sikhism they will say it goes on to other lives this one will go on to other bodies carrying with it the unique impressions samskaras vasanas and associated karma of each individual so we all continue life after life after life what about this consciousness it's constant does it go from a body to body no it is constant it's infinite in fact all bodies appear and disappear in it <coughs> and enlightenment is when i realize i am this consciousness and i have no further need of this body mind complex this will continue for some time which saw in the third verse prarabdhaya samarpitam swavapu for the there is a karma which has generated this body as long as this body lasts this subtle body also will last along with that when this body dies for the enlightened person this subtle body disappears it it goes back to nature just as the physical body goes back to nature physical body is made of the five elements <coughs> at death for everybody it goes back to back to nature ashes to ashes dust to dust it goes back to nature but for the unenlightened the subtle body continues life after life so their individuality is maintained life after life at enlightenment 
the subtle body goes back to nature. That's also made of matter. It's matter. It's only subtle matter. Sukshmatan matra, it is said. It goes back to nature. Upanishads speak of it. And you remain, the enlightened one remains as Brahman. Alright, so this is incidental. Now let us go ahead. Then what happens? Tam bhasyai pihitarka mandala nibham spurthim sadabhavayan. Here is an indication of nididhyasana. Once you have made the breakthrough, once this is very clear, the enlightened one spends some time absorbing, assimilating this knowledge. You know, this shifting, shifting of the eye, the, the reference of the eye from the body-mind complex to this pure consciousness. And the body-mind is still there. It still works, it does whatever it has to do. Now, it says something interesting. The activities of the body-mind, the body, the senses and the mind, the thoughts in the mind, the actions of the senses. What are the senses doing? Continuously gathering information and dumping it in the mind. True or not? Information dump. Lot of information is coming through the eyes. Lot of information is coming through the ears and touch and taste. And it's being continuously dumped in the mind. And as a result of that what happens is, this continuous activity of the body and mind seem to, seem to hide the sun of consciousness. I am that infinite awareness. This is obscured. Obscured by what? By the activities of the mind and the senses and the body which are lit up by that very same consciousness. So I lose track. I lose awareness of awareness. I'm so busy seeing, smelling, tasting, touching. Much more than that. Thinking, living in my head. Thinking. Anxiety. Temptation, desire, restlessness, body restlessness, sensory restlessness, mental restlessness. This is like a cloud which obscures the orb of the sun. Like a cloud which seems, you see there is a sun, but you can't see it. Why? Because the sun, the cloud has come. It's not that the cloud can obscure the sun. How can a cloud, little patch of cloud obscure this vast sun which is bigger than the Bigger than the earth itself, much bigger. What it does is, it obscures our vision of the sun. It comes between my eyes and the sun. And it seems that the sun is hidden. But only, the operative word is as if. Note something. Even the sun, which, even the cloud which seems to hide the sun. I can see the cloud by what light? Sunlight. It is the sun which reveals the cloud which seems to be obscuring the sun. Without the sunlight I cannot see the cloud. If I know what sunlight is, if I know what is the sun, I will not think that the sun has disappeared. The very fact that I can see the clouds means the sun is right there behind the clouds. Similarly, all the activities for the ignorant person, all the activities of the senses and the body and the mind, they seem to hide the inner self, pure consciousness. That's why the Kathopanishad says, our senses are turned outwards, therefore we see the world and not the inner self. Beautiful verse, Kathopanishad, Paranchikhani Dhyatrinatsvayam Bhu Tasmat Parampashyati Nantaratman Our senses are turned outwards and therefore, I mean the Lord designed, in fact the language is, is uh, 
is humorous. The Lord made a manufacturing defect. Vyatrinath <laughs> damaged our senses. Manufacturing defect. What? It sees out. We experience the body. The mind experiences the senses outwards. The senses experience the body. And the body lit up by senses. And the mind experiences the external world. Out, out, out. Moving out. Nantaratman does not experience the inner self. The infinite consciousness blazing within. Does not. Normally. Then what is to be done? Kaschidhira pratyagatmana maikshat. Some rare spiritual seeker like you. Experienced the inner self. Experienced or realized the inner self. How? What's the method? Avritta chakshur. Literally means covering the eyes, but it means turning inwards. So turn, in, calming the external, the outflow of the outward flow of the senses and the mind, turning inwards. Why would you do that? Amritatva mitchan, desiring immortality. Desiring immortality. What's the point? The point is escaping from the or releasing yourself from the, the bondage of birth and death, the cycle of birth and death, and suffering, trying to get um, satisfaction in the external world, which is not there. Finding fulfillment in, in the reality within. So that's the whole spiritual quest. The point to be noted here is the yogic approach and the Vedantic approach. What is the yogic approach and the Vedantic approach? The yogi says, ah, it is the outward movement of the senses and the mind which is obscuring the self within. Then what should I do? Quieten, calm down. Serene, quiet mind, then the inner self will reveal itself. So that is the second sutra, third sutra and fourth sutra of yoga sutras. Second sutra, yoga chitta vritti nirodha. Yoga is the complete cessation of the modifications of the mind. What is modification of the mind? Here, cactus thought. No, 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 no cactus thought. Close your eyes. <laughs> so, Yoga, Chitta, Vritti, Nirodha. These are Vrittis. Vrittis means modifications of the mind. All thoughts, all perceptions, all feelings, they are all Vrittis. Calm, calm, quiet, quiet. Stop the mind. What will happen? Why? What good is that? Tada drashtu swarupe avasthanam. Then the witness consciousness is appreciated or seen in its real nature. That beyond the mind that becomes... That shines forth, or should at least. If I don't calm down the mind, what will happen? Then what happens is, that witness consciousness is mixed up with the movements of the mind. The sun is obscured by the clouds. The clouds are the movements of the mind. So, vritti sarupyam itaratra. If you do not calm down the mind, then the consciousness becomes identified with the movements of the mind. Anger. I am angry. Remember that I am that I am now immediately becomes associated with anger. Bored. I am bored. I am pure consciousness? No, no, no. I am bored. <laughs> bored, vritti in the mind. The mind feels bored. There's a feeling of boredom here. And I have forgotten myself. I say, I am bored here. This I becomes related to this. That is the yogic approach. Yogic approach is the mind has to be quietened in meditation. Absolute quiet. Samadhi. Samadhi. What is the Vedantic approach? Remember, there is another way of seeing the sun. Even when the sun appears to be covered, 
by the clouds. You still know that the sun is there because you know what the sun is. So even the clouds which are shining in the light of the sun, they are also revealing the sun. True or not? You are not worried, anxious, oh my god the sun is gone, there are only clouds. No, how do you see the clouds? Similarly, the Vedantin says, even when the mind is functioning, even when you are thinking, feeling, willing, even when you are seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, all of them are lit up by what? By consciousness. Tam by that consciousness. Pihitarka mandala nibham. By that consciousness lit up. But like the sun being covered, as if covered by a cloud. That consciousness, which is present in every, in every movement of the mind, which is revealed in every perception, which is revealed in anything that we do. Spurtim sada bhavayam, always dwelling on that. It's a very deep thing, it's an indication of nididhyasana, Vedantic nididhyasana. How you can practice this in every activity of, the li of life. If you want to practice yogic samadhi, you must stop those activities. You must sit down. Ashtanga yoga demands that one must sit quietly. Then one must close one's senses and turn inwards. Asana, pranayama, pratyahara. Withdraw from the world. Concentrate inwards. Calm down. Can't think. Can't, obviously can't see, smell, taste, touch, hear. Can't walk around, jump around. Nothing. Then only it is revealed in Samadhi. That's the yogic approach. Correct. The Vedantic approach is anything that you need to do. Walk, talk, think, fight, whatever. Even they say in, Japanese, in the martial arts, uh, Japanese martial arts, there's one of the ways to enlightenment is throwing a punch at the other guy. <laughs> that guy might not be enlightened, but, <laughs> no, but it's true. Uh, in the Japanese martial arts, especially... Um, things like Aikido, Kyudo, the, uh, the Jutsu arts are actually fighting arts. Jujutsu is a fighting art, but it is transformed into Judo. Do means the way. So when it's transformed into the way, it becomes a path for spiritual development. It's no longer for, uh, for punching somebody. You can still punch somebody and very effectively, but the point is your own spiritual development. Aikijutsu became, becomes Aikido. Kenjutsu, becomes, where sword fighting becomes kendo. And the purpose there, of course, physical exercise and all of that, but is actually inner development, spiritual development. So, in all activities, Brahmaarpanam Brahmavi, Brahmagno Brahmanahutam, Brahmevatena Gantabhyam, Brahma Karma Samadhina, the one who sees Brahman in all action. That means not stopping action, in all action. Even in eating, you see Brahman. See Brahman means you become aware. Just like when you are seeing, you are just seeing the cloud. But you are aware that's the light of the sun, lighting up the cloud. Similarly, in all activities, it is only in the light of consciousness that all these activities are known and done. Alright, I will not belabor the point. Ever contemplating on this, Sada Bhavayan, this is Vedantic Nididhyasana. You, Vedantic meditation, can it be done quietly sitting with eyes closed like yogic meditation? Certainly, of course. But also with eyes open. With eyes closed, with eyes open. Will consciousness disappear if your eyes are open? Of course not. 
your eyes are open, it, other, other way around might be. <laughs> your eyes are closed too much, then sleep. <laughs> Even then consciousness is there, but just revealing sleepy mind. But with eyes open, consciousness is there. It's, you know what it's like, it's something like, what do you see here? Book. But actually what you are seeing is the light reflected from the book. What enters into your eyes is the light. Book is not entering your eyes, otherwise 911. <laughs> only the light. Whatever you are seeing, the book, light only. Pen, light only. Cloth, light only. Only thing that enters your eyes is the light, is the reflected light. It carries information what kind of thing is reflected from. In the same way, so if you become aware, just it requires awareness. Light is only coming to our eyes. In that way, if you become aware in every activity, in every experience, Brahman alone is revealed. I, the consciousness, in every experience, whether I am eating, talking, walking, Keno Upanishad says, the one who, is, who sees, recognizes Brahman in every experience, that one attains immortality. Pratibodha viditam matam amritatvam hivindate. In every bodha, every experience. What experience? Not samadhi. Every, including samadhi. Every experience. Viditam, one who realizes, this is Brahman. I am Brahman. So that is the background awareness. That one attains immortality. Amritatvam hivindate. Then the last verse. You might say that... Uh, Oh, okay, the last line of this verse, Yogi Nirvrita Manaso Hi Guru This Yogi who forever contemplates in every action, every thought that I am Brahman is revealed to this Yogi. Nirvrita Manasa is completely fulfilled. The mind is completely fulfilled. That which was not fulfilled by continuous focus on the world outside or dwelling in the mind itself. Some people love agonizing in the mind itself. Whether living outside or living in the mind, not fulfilled. That becomes completely fulfilled when it turns, the mind turns and recognizes what is beyond the mind, what is, be, what is, um, what is shining on the mind, the, my real self, who I am or what I am. Yogi nirvrita manasa. Such a yogi is my guru. Then the next last verse. Yat saukhyam buddhilesha leshata ime shakradayo nirvrita Yat chitte nitaram prashantakalane labdhva munir nirvrita You might have noticed that all the time we are talking about consciousness, consciousness, consciousness and once in a while about existence. What about ananda, bliss? Satchidananda? Sat and chit we have been talking about. Where is ananda? Here it is finally. We are ultimately seeking not only Transcendence of suffering, but also attainment of fulfillment, bliss, joy, the final fulfillment. So here it is. By a fraction of that infinite ocean of bliss, these gods, Ime Shakradaya, the gods, small g. Shakra means Indra, the king of the gods and other gods, the god of fire, um, Agni, the god of air, Vayu. There's a cyclone coming towards India, it's called Vayu. So the god of air, Vayu. And all of these gods, um, they are fulfilled, they enjoy a fraction of this infinite ocean of bliss, which is attained by this Muni. He says Muni means 
the, the knower, the mananatmuni, the one who contemplates Brahman, that one attains the entire, the, this infinite ocean of bliss, which shines, where completely the mind is calm and serene, free of movement. Yasmin nitya sukhambhado galita, the one who has, whose intellect is merged in, one who has become one with that infinite ocean of bliss. Brahmaivana brahmavit, and that one is not a knower of Brahman, that one is Brahman. I really like that in, uh, you know, Nisarga Dutta, I am that. He was once, people around him were praising him, that you are a knower of Brahman, that's the highest praise, Brahmagyani. You are a knower of Brahman. He, it seems he was a rough person. There's a devotee in Hollywood, Radha Krishnan, who has actually seen Nisargadatta, who went to meet him. And so he was a very rough person. Nisargadatta was very an aggressive saint. So when they said, you are a knower of Brahman, Brahmagya, Brahmagyani, knower of Brahman, he immediately snapped at them, you are insulting me. What? It's the highest praise we can give in our culture that you are an enlightened person. You are equal to Buddha and all that. You are a knower of Brahman. He says, no, I am not a knower of Brahman. I am Brahman. <laughs> the enlightened person, he will not say, I am an enlightened person. I am enlightened that I am Brahman. Aham Brahmasmi, I know that. No, no, no. I am Brahman. I am not a knower of Brahman. Even that attitude that I know Brahman, it's wrong. It reveals uh, ignorance. I know Manisha Panchankara, I, I can say, but I am Brahman. The Kena Upanishad, there's a lot, big section there where the Guru tests the disciple. It is, it is neither known nor unknown. Having heard this teaching, so have you now known Brahman? It's a trick. If you say, I have known Brahman, ah, but it cannot be known. If you say, I don't know Brahman, then your teaching has failed, you have played flunked. <laughs> Come back next year. <laughs> what does the student do? Naham manye suvedeti nona vedeti vedacha. I don't think that I know Brahman. Ah, so you don't know. I know. <laughs> and those among us who understand what I just said, that I know not Brahman, but I do know. They know. <laughs> what does it mean? You don't know it as an object. What is knowing as an object? Now you can tell. Consciousness shining upon the mind, lighting up the mind, mind lit up by this, lights up the five senses, and the five senses working through the body, we know an object. Here, this is a cactus, this is the desert, this is the sun, this is the sky, this is Arizona. No, I mean, it's more than that, but... Uh, this is knowing as an object. You can never know Brahman like this. Because it is behind every, every knowledge. What can Brahman be known as? That which is lighting up every knowledge. Whether it is cactus knowledge, or desert knowledge, or sun knowledge, or some 2 plus 2, 4 in the mind, whatever your knowledge is. Whatever you taste, smell, ta uh, see, hear, all that is lit up by consciousness. That's the only way you know Brahman. Will you say Brahman is unknown? No, no, no. It's more than known. Swami Vivekananda said it's more than known. It is only through this consciousness that you know anything else. So Brahmavit, 
I am not a knower of Brahman. Brahmaiva, I am Brahman. That's the attitude of the enlightened person. Now, Ananda, very quickly, what is this whole business about? Bliss, <laughs> joy. Just like, how do we know an object? How do we know anything in this world? How do we enjoy in this world? What is the Vedantic theory of happiness? Very quickly, what happens is this. Instead of saying consciousness, I'm going to say the big A, Ananda. This is bliss. And same thing, the mind and the senses, the body. And here is the world. Let's say now something that will give you bliss. Um, okay, ice cream cone. Senses, body mind. Now what happens is, I have a desire, I see the ice cream cone. How do I see? Remember the earlier epistemology. This is the science of happiness. Vedantic science of happiness. So the, in the mind arises a desire for this. I see this and a vritti arises. I must have it. I want that and because I want it immediately the result is that I feel unhappy yes. See? <laughs> I feel unhappy so this disturbance in the mind the moment I get it I get this this unhappiness changes into happiness hmm? it's not a good good way of it. then <laughs> then becomes happy happy face yeah I get it. But this happiness, what happens is, the ananda which is Brahman is reflected in the mind. When the mind, the desire for the ice cream is satisfied, the mind calms down, the vritti is calmed down. The natural happiness, which is, which is our, our self, Brahman, ananda, that shines in the mind. And there is a feeling of happiness in the mind. It's like a mirror. If the mirror is obscured by dust, my face is not reflected properly in the mirror. Moment you clear the dust, my face will be reflected in the mirror. Right? Similarly, this natural happiness, our contentment, Brahman itself, which is limitless happiness, that is, should be reflected in the mind, but it gets obscured by the movements in the mind. Movements caused by desire. I want, I love, I hate, uh, dissatisfied, the movements in the mind, the moment you get what you want, moment you get what you want, the movement in the mind, the vritti in the mind is calmed down and the happiness inside is reflected there. And that's how we experience happiness. Notice one thing, what we experience as happiness is according to Vedanta, reflection of the real happiness within us. Just as the face you see is not your real face, I'm not saying it, you're two-faced, you have only one face and one reflected face in the mirror. The problem with the reflected face in the mirror is it's not your real face. Your real face is here. It's only a copy of your real face. And it depends on the mirror. Convex mirror, one type. Concave mirror, another type. Dirty mirror, one type. Platinum mirror, another type. All different reflections of one reality. So it depends on the mirror. 
it comes and goes with the mirror with better mirror better reflection worse mirror worse reflection dirty mirror no reflection so on the grades of reflection keep changing of the same constant reality but the advantage of the mirror is you can what you can actually see your face without the mirror without the mirror you cannot see your face but does your face disappear if the mirror is not there no, no not at all so this is the Vedanta, that's the good way of understanding how Vedanta sees happiness. What we ordinarily consider happiness is a reflection of our inner Ananda, a portion of it, fraction of it, whatever that little mirror of the mind can hold at that point. And then again what happens? Another desire arises, our fulfillment is there with the ice cream and we move on to other things and again the Ananda gets obscured. And we, our mistake is, our mistake is, we think that the happiness is caused by the ice cream. And we have a reason to think that. When I did not have the ice cream, I was unhappy. When I had the ice cream, I was happy. So ice cream, conclusion, ice cream gives me happiness. Childish mind, instinctive mind, thinks happiness is in the thing outside. More mature mind finds that, no, happiness is in me, but it is caused by things outside. So if things go the way I want it, people are nice to me, I get the things I want, my health is good, all of these things are okay, I will be happy. Things outside cause internal happiness. Happiness is internal, I agree, but the things outside are necessary. This is any mature person will think like this. Only a child or an instinctive person will think, no, no, it's outside. The story of uh, the dog who chewed the dry bones, Sri Ramakrishna tells the story. It's an old Vedantic story. There was a dog who found an old bone and started chewing it. And then what happened was the bone cut its inner lip and little blood trickled out and the dog thought such a tasty bone. It's tasting it's, tasting its own blood. And now the dog thought this bone is so tasty. So what it does is it buries the, the bone and once in a while, when once it wants to have enjoyment, it digs out the bone and chews it. And the blood comes out from within. And it tastes that and feels, oh, it's so, such a tasty bone. Now, the world, the objects of the world are like that bone to us. And the happiness that we get from that, we think it comes from that. But actually, it comes from within. Up to this, okay? Now, let's go ahead. Science of happiness 2. That was one, two. This is from the Taittiriya Upanishad. There is a section called Ananda Mimamsa. Ananda Mimamsa. Calculus of happiness. Mimamsa means analysis. The analysis of happiness. So let's say the calculus of happiness. What does it say? So now we have understood that uh, happiness is internal but it depends on getting the things which we want. So when we satisfy our desires, we are happy. That seems to be the general understanding of any thinking person. We have desires, satisfy them, you become happy. And then you get other desires and so on and so forth. So that's one track. That uh, by satisfying desires, we get happiness. And there's another wiser person who says, if Vedanta is at all true, if the happiness is coming from within, if this is true, 
there are two ways of getting happiness. One is getting the ice cream, removing the desire for ice cream, so the natural happiness is manifested. One way, track one. Another is, give up the desire for the ice cream. Doesn't matter what's there outside. This inner desire, if I give it up, renounce that desire, then automatically the inner happiness will manifest. Do you see? If this model is true at all, yeah. then why generate a desire, work hard to satisfy the desire, and then the desire subsides, and then my happiness will be manifest. Why not give up this particular desire, these desires? Our internal happiness should be manifest, should be. So one path is bhoga, enjoyment of things, trying to get happiness. The other part, path is yoga, giving up those desires and enjoying the happiness within. Two tracks, two tracks. Track one, bhoga, samsari as uh, happiness. Track one. And track two, renunciation, spiritual life. This is worldly hap uh, life and spiritual life. Both are after happiness. One tries to fulfill desires and get happiness, the other one tries to give up and concentrate within. Uh, finds its happiness from uh, spirituality. This is called uh, Vishayananda, the joy of Vishaya objects. Vishaya means objects. Vishaya Ananda. Easy to understand? Vishaya Ananda, the joy of objects. This is called Bhajana Ananda, the joy of spiritual practice. You get joy in meditation, joy in service, joy in love of God, joy in Vedanta, hopefully. Don't see. Good. I can see some smile. Some joy is there. Sri so Ramakrishna distinguishes the two. Vishayananda, Bhajanananda. Now the Taittiriya Upanishad says there is a whole range, a spectrum of happiness. The whole section is, is worth reading. It's a whole thing is about happiness. You'll, you'll have a smile all throughout when you read about it. It says, let's start at the bottom. If you want to measure happiness, you need a unit. In order to measure, you need a unit. So let's have, what is one unit of happiness? The way it defines one unit of happiness, one unit of human happiness. What's the maximum possible happiness that a human being can have? And the Upanishad paints such an amazing picture. If you read it, you'll get a big smile on your face. He says, the first thing the Upanishad says, unfortunately, I get a lot of booze when I say this. The Upanishad says, the first thing you need to have is you need to be young. <laughs> you are sad. <laughs> unfortunately, it's a fact. With advancing age, a lot of problems come which are not at all, they are naturally not there when you are young. If you, if you do a lot of yoga and you eat gluten-free and you lead a healthy life, you can manage the decline. That's old age. And what a 21-year-old can do without doing any of that? Can lead a most uh, uh, indisciplined life and still be much more healthy than with, uh, with all the management that we are doing. So, you are first of all young. Body and mind young. Then, um, Adhyayaka, uh, learned, not a dropout. So, Ivy League, you know, um, uh, MBA, engineering, all the degrees, medicine, has got all the degrees. So, brilliant, uh, highly educated. But also, Prithivirasya Vittasya Purnasyat, multi, multi-billionaire. <laughs> what do they call it? 
trust fund baby. <laughs> so it's not that the person is young and talented and intelligent, has to spend 40 years to become rich. No, no, no. Starts off enormously rich. There's no end to uh, the wealth that person has inherited. And on top of that, Sadhu Syat, a good person, a noble person, has got good intentions to do good to the world. Not just um, uh, a dissolute person who will waste all the money and the opportunities. No. So young, and then it says vigorous, healthy. It uses three words. Um, uh, it says um, that Ashishta, um, Dhrishta, Balishta, who is physically strong, who is vigorous in the enjoyments of life. Whatever life can provide can um, not get exhausted by one meal and exhausted stomach trouble. No, no, no. <laughs> Multiple meals. <laughs> so, can really enjoy all the sense pleasures, all the intellectual pleasures, can understand, you know, is interested in intellectual pleasures, in artistic pleasures, everything that life can provide and has the means to do that, the desire to do that and the body and the mind which is capable of doing that. That person, imagine the happiness of that person. Is it possible? Maybe in some sense, once in a generation, a person like that comes, who's got everything in life. So, rarely. But imagine that. Imagine that. And that's one unit of happiness. <laughs> that's no more than that can be obtained in this human life. But the Vedas say, there is, if you want more than that, uh, there is a possibility. In after death, there are higher heavens where you go. So there is a heaven of the Gandharvas, the celestial beings, where you can get a hundred times this happiness. Hundred times into 10 to the power 2 of that maximum human happiness. Wow, how do I get it? Not here. But after death, and you have to perform these Vedic rituals, give me my cut of the um, <laughs> commission, and we will set you up. After death, you will go there. And so they believed in these things. So it, it, they took it very seriously. <coughs> and they go to these higher heavens. Now, what are these higher heavens? So notice, to enjoy anything, this Vishayananda, you need three things. Body, body-mind complex, plus object, plus environment. Huh. Environment. In Sanskrit, Sharira, Vishaya, Loka. Sharira, Vishaya, Loka. The higher your enjoyment you want, you need a, you, a human body cannot enjoy that much. It will collapse. It will blow a blow a fuse. If you try to maximize enjoyment to that, that level, a hundred times of this, human body will collapse. You'll have to take it to the hospital, stroke. It can't enjoy. Uh, what you call drug overdose. So it will be like enjoyment overdose. Yeah. So you need a better body. Like, you know, Superman, uh, Spider-Man body. Super. So those ideas were there in the Vedic times. Much more so, more than what you have in the, super com uh, the superhero comics these days. Extraordinary bodies. The way I understand it is this way. Gandharvas are supposed to be celestial musicians. They are only the lowest tier, the, the, the slum dwellers of heaven. Uh, and they are a hundred times better than any kind of human happiness you can think of. What, what are they like? One way of understanding is, I was reading about these classical musicians, highly trained classical musicians. They actually don't need instruments. They can hear the music in their minds. And a very... 
I think who was who went deaf? Mozart, Beethoven, Beethoven, Beethoven went deaf, but he could hear. He could hear and compose inside his mind, and at a rarefied, refined level, far beyond what we can physically do with instruments in this world. Now that's something what a Gandharva is like, who dwells in that realm of extraordinary music, celestial musician. Can you imagine what kind of life that will be? And then, so they have extraordinary bodies and what they enjoy, the objects, those objects are also extraordinary ob objects. In the Yama and Nachiketa uh, conversation, Yama, we are eating into the question answer time? A little bit, it doesn't matter, we will continue this. Yama, uh, the lord of death, talks to that young boy and he tempts that boy Nachiketa and he offers him I will give you, don't ask me about what happens after death, don't ask me questions about Vedanta. I, I will give you pleasures which human beings in this world cannot enjoy. What he's talking about are these pleasures, which are not available to human enjoyment. Um, and you, for all of that you need an environment. Yes, we are here to study Vedanta and here we are in uh, the, um, Arizona, but we need this environment. The same cup of coffee, you take it in, uh, um, on a roadside halal cart in Manhattan and you step into, inside the uh, Waldorf Astoria or something. Same cup of coffee. But they will charge you 10 times or 100 times more inside. Why? They are charging you for environment. <laughs> so, loka, environment. The heavens, they, have got, they are extraordinary environments, much better than this world. So, hundred times. Now, what's the point of all of this? It says that this person, track two, just by renouncing that enjoyment and concentrating on his or her spiritual practices, can get that happiness, not after death, right here. Uh, that, that track two, it says, Shrotriyasya chaka mahatasya the one who does not have the desire, who can give up successfully the desire for sense enjoyments and focus on spirituality, will get that same peace and happiness which this person aspires to after death, 10 to the power 2, 100 times, maximum human happiness, will get it here in this life itself. So, this person can also get this, this person can also get this, this person also can get this, here itself. But the approach is different. Remember, why does this work? Because if you give up the desire for that, what is this enjoyment after all? It is your own natural enjoyment, a particle of that. Is this the highest enjoyment possible? No, the Upanishad keeps on telling you. There is a higher than that. There is something called um, Deva Gandharva, 10 to the power 4. So that is 100 times, that means 10,000 times the, uh, the, the earlier one. 100 times of this, this one. So 10,000 times the, the 10,000 times the happiness of this ordinary, you just think, by thinking about it you may faint. <laughs> and this person, the spiritual person will get the same happiness here itself. See, is it really true? <laughs> it is true. If you look at, you know, one of the reasons which attracted me to spiritual life, to become a monk, was when I saw these people, in the monastery. I said, these guys, they don't have bank balances, they don't have uh, uh, family and jobs and uh, relatives, 
like my dad and mom do. And yet they are happy. They are actually happier than my mom and dad. How? How? So they are, they are on track too. Right? They don't want any of that. They are pursuing this one. So they get the same happiness. That's actually a proof that this Vedantic theory of happiness is true. That without the so-called external supports of happiness, you can get fulfillment within. And it goes on. There are higher gods, the devatas, who get 10 to the power 6 and then 10 to the power 8. I calculated the last one, Brahma, uh, Prajapati Brahma. It, it came to 10 to the power 20. <laughs> that is 10 followed by 20, 1 followed by 20 zeros. I don't know how much that is. 10 to the power 20 of the maximum possible human happiness. The Upanishads promise you that. And if you give up that kind of happiness and concentrate on, your, on the reality within, through yoga, through bhakti, through devotion, through meditation, you will get the same happiness here. Right now. Shrotriyasya chakamahatasya. One who is firmly set in the Vedantic knowledge and gives up. If you do not give up the hankering for the world outside, what will happen? The vritti will come in the mind, obscure the inner natural happiness and you will not feel happy until you get the object. So these are the two tracks, the worldly track, track and the spiritual life. And the strong recommendation is you go to, go to this life. <laughs> Maturity, once one moves through this path, one may not consider all these things but at least the world, this life which we have, one moves through this path and one must become mature enough that alright, this I have seen enough of this. Now let me go to the retreat and, and <laughs> try to learn something about spiritual happiness. Then the Upanishad says, all this is not, not yet Vedantic theory of happiness. This could be true of any path. A, a devotee, Vaishnava path can also tell you this. A yogi will also tell you this. This is possible. What does Vedanta have to contribute here? The next sentence after describing this, Upanishad says something like a bombshell, dramatic. It says, the happiness of the man, the one happiness, Manushyananda, and the happiness of the highest happiness of, of the highest God in the highest heavens, 10 to the power 2, unimaginable, they are one and the same. Sa ekaha. It's one and the same. What is he saying? This is incredible. How can 1 be equal to 10 to the power 20? How? Because, because these happiness, this one, this one, this one, all of them, they are what? Let's go back to our, uh, let's go back to our diagram. All of these are the polishing of this mirror. More better and better reflections of the original happiness, of, of Ananda itself. But the Vedantin realizes whether it is the happiness of the human being here or the happiness of Brahma and the, many times more, both are reflections of this one inner inf unlimited ocean of happiness which I am. This Ananda I am, this realization comes. It does not matter what kind of mirror you put before me. Brahma, the highest god, has a very fine platinum mirror. The human being has a very ordinary, you know, like a shaving mirror or something like that. But all that is being reflected is my original face. That I am. That realization comes through Vedanta. And it says, Yasmin Nitya Sukham Budo, in which eternal ocean of bliss, Galitadhi, the intellect is merged, stabilized, 
I am that. And that Brahman, that infinite Ananda Aham, I am that. Whatever Ananda, you get the bliss of eating an ice cream, you get the bliss of meditation, you get the bliss, whatever happiness you get is just a fraction of the infinite which is already within me. There's a beautiful Bengali song which goes like this. My Lord, they sit near the ocean of nectar and they die of thirst scrambling in the, uh, scrambling in the dry sand there, never once looking behind. And they, dry, they die of thirst, you know, clawing the sand, the dry sand in front of them. Imagine a sea beach, never once looking behind to the ocean of nectar right behind them. And then the prayer is very beautiful. My Lord, even if they do not ask for it, do give them what is good for them. <laughs> even if they do not ask. I think Rajanikantashan. Yeah. Alright. So this is the idea. You realize that infinite nature of that bliss. Notice, the ananda, the vishaya ananda or bhajan ananda is subject to increase and decrease, more or less. But the swarupa ananda, the ananda which is the source, you, it is not subject to increase and decrease. The ananda of the, the external, the ananda that is reflected in the mind, that is subject to either you have to satisfy the desires or you have to make spiritual effort. It is produced. But this one is not produced. It's infinite always available. It is only reflected there. The, um, notice uh, this, this one more thing. The reflected ananda which you see here, like the reflected face, you can see the face, you can actually experience that ananda. This infinite ananda is not an object of experience. This is what makes feel, people feel disappointed. Oh, this infinite ananda is there and I can't experience it. You can experience it, but then it's like reflecting your face. It becomes an experienced ananda. So this person who realizes oneself as Brahman does not get this ananda, does. It's like you realize yourself as that face. Do you, do you get that face or not? You get it. It's your own face. But if you want to see it, you need a mirror. And you will get different reflections of it, depending on the mirror. But once you realize it's my own face, are you addicted to seeing your own face in the mirror? No, that would be crazy. You are completely satisfied by knowing that all of this ananda is I myself. Then there is no urge, either in Vishayananda or Bhajanananda, trying to get more and more spiritual joy or more and more worldly joy. There is no particular urge, you are completely fulfilled. Whatever comes, very good. Doesn't come, very good. I don't depend on it at all. So that complete infinite fulfillment is the result of jnana, enlightenment. Yeah. Nitya Sukham Yakashchit Sa Surendra Vandita Pado Even the gods who get a fraction of it, 10 to the power 5 or 10 to the power 6 or something like that, they worship this knower of Brahman. Surendra means king of the gods. They worship the knower of Brahman. That one is my conviction that that one is, is, is worthy of being worshipped by the gods also. That is my conviction. Noonam Manisha Mama. So that is the last verse. Good. Let us go into the Q&A session. We have got some time. <clears throat>